Hello, everyone. Stuart Gandalf here with ARIA Agency and Healthcare Success. I'm here today with Sven Gerlinger. Sven is the Chief Experience Officer for Northwell Health. Uh, we're on a panel together at this year's iPerformer Conference in Philadelphia, along with Lynn Nye, CEO of Medical Minds, who's moderating our discussion today. We're really excited that you've joined us because, you know, the hospital perspective on our discussion is um, just, you know, such an important part of the discussion. So thanks so much um, for being with us. Yeah. My pleasure. This conference obviously is about pharma. There's this beginning movement in pharma to embrace patient experience. Patient experience from the view of a private practice doctor is completely different than, you know, somebody in a hospital, which is completely different than pharmaceutical. The pharma side um, is uh, catching the religion too. Uh, They're probably, I don't know, half or a full decade behind hospitals. And hospitals, as you know, are pretty new to this, right? You know, I remember 10 years ago, doctors telling me and executives, I don't care if they, you know, like us, I just want to get better. So that attitude has really evolved over time. So anyway, they're very excited about this. This is a hot topic in pharmaceutical. And they're kind of like grasping the dark. They don't have any experience, any context at all. So there's a few people that are kind of leading the charge. So I think this will be a... um, well-attended uh, panel session. So Lynn uh, reached out to me, and this opportunity to lead this panel came out for us. So we uh, thought what we could do, if you like, is go through some of the questions we're contemplating. And again, we're looking for your experience on the hospital side. Yes, actually, Sven, um, could you tell us um, a little bit about what you do on a daily basis um, in the hospital? That, that would be really interesting to hear your perspective. Yeah, so happy to to share that. Well, thank you for um, inviting me and uh, for um, this call today. Uh, This is very helpful. Uh, So I'm the Chief Experience Officer at Northwell Health. We have, um, or I've been in this role for the past almost five years, and I was the first uh, Chief Experience Officer in the North or in the Greater New York um, area, and. I uh, basically lead all functions of, um, or impacts, I should say, on patient experience uh, across the enterprise. And we are, we have grown to be the largest healthcare provider in the state of New York now. We're also the largest private employer. We have 23 hospitals. Um, we have uh, close to 700 ambulatory locations. We have um, 200 ambulances on the road every day. We have um, a very large post-acute division also with a very large home care business, uh, um, nursing homes, etc. So we have 68,000 employees, Uh, 17,000 of them are nurses, uh, 4,000 are physicians, and uh, so that's so what you were talking about, Stuart, the experience in a hospital is very different than in a in the ambulatory setting, than in an urgent care center, uh, and then also there's very different experiences based on the acuity, from routine appointments to something that is uh, court that requires coordinary care, and uh, so we're trying to stitch all of that together and uh, to make it a seamless experience for our patients um, so that it is not um, fragmented and which it often uh, looks like to the uh, to the patient that one side of the business is not talking to another and 
um, we have various levels of um, connectivity to that, that to that patient. So in my world, um, I work a lot on culture. Um, so uh, having rolled out a patient experience training, if you will, to all of our um, 68,000 employees uh, that is mandatory, we ha we have launched a um, to address the physician culture a, a training program that is an entire day for doctors um, that they have to participate in and so far we, uh, we've uh, trained a thousand almost a, a thousand of them and that is uh, centering them around empathy and relationship-centered care and what are some of the, the principles within that that they need to keep in mind as they're training the patients in, in their encounters with them whether it is on the inpatient setting, in the ED setting, or ambulatory. Um, we are uh, do very specific training also for other employee groups, and uh, we partner closely also with our corporate university, which we call the Center for Learning and Innovation, and HR, um, especially on the engagement efforts of our staff, and uh, that's where the, the, the overlap between patient satisfaction and employee satisfaction uh, comes to play, and we're trying to have a co cohesive messaging around that uh, to our own employees. And then uh, we work a lot on with the various facilities and service lines on uh, having a care cent or a patient-centric uh, care design, and uh, that the care delivery itself incorporates uh, patient-centricity. Um, also then focusing on the elements and aspects of hospitality, uh, whether that is uh, concierge services at the uh, as first impressions in our hospitals or um, the general um, environment that is more conducive to healing and not a stark hospital environment that is loud mm. and noisy and distracting. And we also launched a major initiative a couple of years ago what it's just a, a way of life now, and that is around food. Um, how do we see food? Um, it's uh, what we serve our patients is um, it's just uh, horrendous usually in hospitals, and we've made that a major focus area. But that also then um, reaches it's not just the food we serve to our patients and to our employees. Also, how do we see food as health, and how does it impact our communities? So that ties to our social determinants of health efforts and community health efforts, et cetera. And lastly, just the overall accountability for um, for experience um, with the goal to make the uh, patient satisfaction, patient experience, patient-centeredness as important as quality and safety. As a matter of fact, to stitch those together um, because the patient often it's one and as important as our financial results. And that's why I, I report directly to the CEO. Um, it is a C-suite position and not something that's further down down the ranks. And um, we put a structure in place that um, allows us to execute on that uh, on that strategy. So that's the the five-minute elevator speech was a long elevator ride. Right well, yeah, so I have to say to you that, that I really understand why um, why Jim Amelino said that you are the expert because I haven't had anybody um, give that um, in-depth and comprehensive a view of patient-centric care in a hospital. I think that's fantastic.
So maybe I just bottle that as my opening for the for the talk. I thought it was interesting, by the way, Swen, that you've only been there. I think you said for five years, which is a long time in hospital life, but in this, you know the rest of the world, that's relatively new. And that's you know to show how new this field is, right? Being a leader with such a big system and the only one doing it in New York at all, and it's been five years, just shows how new to the table this is, even with hospitals. Right. What I didn't mention is that my background is. Uh, little atypical. I don't come from the healthcare industry originally. I, I grew up in hospitality and I worked for the Ritz Carlton mm. Hotel Company for a long time. And a long story short is I was a patient um, and I was hospitalized for three months. I was paralyzed from head to toe. And then uh, oh. I had Guillain-Barre syndrome, if that means anything to you, and um, found my way into healthcare. Uh, through the patient route with a hospitality background. Wow, that's amazing. Is your CEO a a clinical background or an executive background from the hospital Uh, system? Executive background. He has a, um, uh, was working for insurance for a while. He was also the Commissioner for Health and Human Services in the state of New York for uh, the previous uh, Governor Cuomo. Um, so he worked on the payer side, on the government side, and now on the provider side. Getting something off the ground. Uh, doctors are known for embracing new ideas right. quickly, and particularly from people that aren't clinical background. Have you found uh, resistance? Do you feel like the CEO support really helps you? Uh, how does that, how, because it seems like it would be really daunting to try to roll a new culture and attitude through a system. Is, do you feel like it's been easy or hard, or what do you think? I think it's been, you know, you can't say easy, um, but it, it, uh, our physicians are very open-minded um, to that, and it's uh, from from day one. And I think it is, it speaks to the culture that we have in our organization, and we that is driven by Michael Dowling, by our our CEO. You know, although he's not a he's not a physician, um, we treat. Uh, Physicians, how physicians need to be treated. They need to be treated with respect. They need to be involved in the decision making, and uh, they need to be loved and uh, need to be part of the part of the team. And that's those are three principles that I personally hang on to. And when when you know, it's all about the relationships and uh, spending time with them and with key influencers. Then um, you're able to. To get something off the ground, and the fact that we've now trained over a thousand physicians is really, or close to a thousand physicians, is um, uh, it's it's actually really cool. And we we compare notes to with organizations across the country, and there's a lot of pushback, and they don't know how to how to get it off the ground, and it's difficult. And we're um, we we figured out a way to do that, and um, we get a lot of support from our docs. I have two questions for you about that. One is, what are some of the things that the doctors didn't know that they get out of the training that you give them? What are some of the things? You know, I give you a few examples. There is, we have, what we're teaching now is actually what we're, part of that is what we're teaching to our new medical students in our medical school, which we have also um, in partnership with Hofstra University. And, um, but those, fundamentals haven't been taught to physicians that have been practiced for a long time. 
physicians that are very experienced that have great relationships with their patients and they think, you know, I, I know I know how to treat a patient. And it's those that then they go through this training and are amazed in what they can actually learn because what we give them is um, specific tools and a structure around that, com uh, around that um, communication with the, the patient that um, enables empathic uh, communication and build focuses on the relationship between the patient and the doctor and that is how to frame the conversation for example how to making sure that you you uh, teaching them how to make an empathic statement uh, to reflect on what the patient says not to interrupt them because studies actually show that uh, if you let a patient speak, they only speak for a minute and something, but the, the physician is afraid that they speak for 10 minutes and they already have to be on to the next patient by then. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. That they, when they give information to the patient, that they don't have a litany of things, a five-minute monologue, and then say, do you have any questions? That they say, uh, go through the first thing, do you understand this? Yes, do you have any questions? No, okay, let's go on to the next thing. We call that chunk and check. So we give them specific tools that they can apply and then go back into the medical practice and find it astounding in what they actually find and how even patients yes. that they've been treating for a long time and how much better they mm. respond to that. And um, mm. one of our leaders in this, we have, we have now 36 faculty members um, that it's physician-led or physician-taught and that one is that uh, she has had more tears now in her office than she ever had before <laughs> because she feels mm. she gets a lot more out of the patient uh, that she didn't get out of them uh, before. And, you know, when you're asking what else, what is happening, and um, and it, it builds an enormous amount of trust between the patient and the doctor. That yeah, it was so already in a uh, very positive, and now we, I feel we're just amplifying that. That's um, really interesting. Actually, when you hear um, a Fasir Hark from Lily, um, Lily did something that is not on the same level as, as yours, but they developed a program um, working with psychologists and with physicians and patient advocates and patients in rheumatology to help doctors um, get the most out of a time pressured visit and, and they did something that's very different than what you well not very different but in, in, they they taught them what questions to ask and we're teaching them how to ask the question the whole body language also and you know how to Yes. why it's important to sit down with a patient and not towering over them and it's, it's a very comprehensive um, approach and we make them role play actually um, within their specialty um, because an ED doc that conversation is very different from um, a, mm. a cancer doc for example and mm. Uh, they role play and then put this into practice and then we bring them back for kind of a lunch and learn and they, they talk as a team and uh, share what they've learned and what struggles they have and what's been working really well and um, it's been phenomenal. Does that communication improve outcomes for patients? Um, absolutely because it builds a better partnership between clinician and, and patient and patients are um, more inclined to follow instruction or to understand uh, why they're doing it, etc. And mm -hmm. that's that's for you know besides the fact that they are more engaged and have higher have higher patient satisfaction, 
we uh, our physician communication domain on the HCAP side uh, has been our uh, largest growing or largest improvement uh, amongst all the HCAPS domains um, compared to the other domains. Do you have published data to show that it improved outcomes? Not for this specific program yet. We have a study on uh, physician burnout also, so that it actually mm. reduces uh, burnout, which uh, we definitely believe it does. And we have um, data on uh, patient satisfaction, not published yet, but uh, we have some data that we can that we can show. So the other thing that I wanted to ask, and I'll let students ask, ask some questions in a minute, but so what you're doing is obviously right, and it's obviously successful. So what's the obstacle in other um, hospital systems throughout the country, and you know why aren't they doing this? Tradition <laughs> has a lot to do with it, and um, hierarchies. You know, another a, a big obstacle is the electronic medical record uh, having taken taken over, and organizations can't figure out how to how, how to untangle that web. <laughs> and we have this uh, machine now between patient and 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 clinician, and everything is about that, and it's about the documentation, and certainly. Uh, regulation also is an obstacle within that, and then uh, there is the, you know, how difficult and complicated and complex the the, the payer system uh, functions. I think this uh, those are obstacles that are that organizations are dealing with, and that it's hard for them to break out of that and to focus back on the on the on the patient. Really intriguing you say that because, wow, things are changing if that's the issue. Because I would have jumped right to the providers don't buy in. So it truly must be a special culture where you guys are because it really varies a, a lot. You know, people ask me about marketing departments at hospitals, and all I can say is it varies wildly. <laughs> Some are really, really good, and others really not. I think patient experience, I mean, I have smaller sample size than you do because I'm in and out of this world. Uh, but I'm guessing it's probably the same, right? Some hospitals and the cultures are much more patient-centric and others are not. When you look at the marketing side and the experience side and how how that is connected, and it's uh, the, you know, we, we've um, de uh, depicted that, the, we call it our three promises, where you have the our brand promises, you know, what do we, what is the messaging to our consumer? Who do we say we are in our community? And then our, uh, patient promises when they are in our care and when they actually uh, are face to face with us and they are receiving the services from us and we, we call that our culture of care and then we have our employee promise also that makes all of that that makes all of that happen and the employee promises um, our um, what life is like at Northwell Health and what what the expectations are and what you what you get out for what you put in and what the deal is between us and, 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 and our workforce and how all these these three promises are connected. Who does the training for the doctors um, and I'm assuming nurses? Do you have clinicians doing it or is it uh, trainers you guys have employed and how? what's the background? How does that work in the real world? Who the, who the trainers are? Yes. They're busy docs. <laughs> so, <laughs> they're, really? but well, they're actually... They are our own doctors, and many of them are in leadership positions. 
So we have everybody from the, the we call our CEOs of hospitals, we call them executive directors. So the executive director of, of North Shore University Hospital, which is our quaternary gorilla hospital, is uh, one of the trainers um, for that physician course. We have medical directors of hospitals, so CMOs of hospitals. We have um, service line um, leaders, uh, but then we also have uh, frontline physicians that do that really, really well and are really good teachers. And we have, uh, they have to go through an eight-day train-the-trainer certification program um, to be certified for that. And that's been, I think, a key to the success because when you have physicians of that caliber teaching it mm. and everybody else is paying attention to it and saying, oh, if they, t- if they think this is important um, and that's that's who's going to be teaching my right. class, I'm, I'm going to have to show up. If they can make the time, I can make the eight hours and I'm and if they really believe in it, then, then I'm sure that it's going to be worthwhile uh, to participate in the reason why I asked that question was I assumed it would be critical to be successful to have doctors involved in training. Again, it's too easy for them to roll their yeah. eyes like, you don't know, you're not you're not dealing with these people every day. They have been hand selected by our chief medical officer and myself. Um and we've also um involved them in the design of the curriculum, the original twelve faculty, um, to make it their own and be- because at first what we what we rolled out didn't land so well, and then we completely redid it with the with their input, and that's now they own it and they are passionate about it, and um, it's a movement, it's a thing, <laughs> and that's uh, um, now we don't we we put the classes out and they fill up immediately, and because we are geographically dispersed, uh, uh, and we. We decentralized it now, where we take it out into our uh, various uh, locations and do it do it locally, also, that, so that the physicians don't have to drive that far. Uh, I'm guessing that's one of the huge reasons why this is successful. I mean, the way you guys are doing it, who certifies them? We partnered with an outside authority, the Academy for Communication and Healthcare. They actually have a, a an agreement with Prescani also now. They help you basically stand up this process and. Um, we have one of our faculty on a medical school who teaches communication to our medical students um, has been involved in the ACH for a very long time, and she is one of our certifiers. Um, so she's our own physician. She's also part of the ACH, and then they, ACH brings another person in from the outside, and it's those two people um, that do the eight-day train the trainer and certify them at the end. And we've had... Uh, people that did not make it. Um, usually, we we first time we started with fifteen, and we ended with twelve because there were three that um, uh, either did not have the the presentation skills, the facilitation skills that 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 were needed, or there were other um, other issues um, with them. So it's rigorous. And my question was, you said when you first did it, it didn't work out so well. And the reason I'm, uh, and so why was that? And the reason I'm asking that is because is other obstacles that other institutions need to be aware of when they're, you know, rolling out a program like this. We got to make sure that we involve the physicians. It was too much already baked by the time we rolled it out to yeah. the result 12. Yes. So we told, you know, you need to teach that. 
um, mm-hmm. that there was some resistance and that they didn't, uh, there were n- a lot of it was nuances and certain language and things that we needed to that we needed to change, and uh, so we went back to the drawing board and in, involved them. I would say maybe eighty percent stayed the same, or seventy five percent, and then the rest was the input from the group. And if they said, "Well, if we do it like this, then we think it will stick better," and and there were many many different uh, things that that needed to be that needed to be changed and that that just mm-hmm. then um, strength, strengthened that ownership of the of the course. It's mm-hmm. Northwell mm-hmm. now, it's ours, and that, that's mm-hmm. so important. I think that that's really interesting because if you look at what Pharma does, they spend huge amounts of money on educational programs for physicians and patients. And, and most physicians, or, or many physicians, don't have a great um, amount of respect for the pharma companies. You know, and I think that's really because the pharma companies don't build, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, they don't build the right level of advocacy with the physician community um, to get the buy-in. I mean, would you say that what I'm saying is right? I I, I don't know that well uh, too well, but um, it's certainly, um, I can see that being a problem. I mean, they do do lots of great programs. You're going to hear this program yeah. from Fasia Hark at Lilly that is that actually has been adopted to train uh, fellows in 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 various specialties. So sometimes they do great things, but um, other times they they do things from their perspective rather than from from the physician's perspective. So one of the questions I was going to ask you is, what about nurses and PAs? Um, how important are they in the communication with patients? Hugely important. I think it's nurses, it's PAs, it's uh, nursing assistants also that we often forget about um, that, that deliver a lot of the care um, to the to the patient. And what patients, what we find, what patients are looking for, and the the, the data from Prescani uh, supports that also is that patients are looking for a team uh, to take care of them and for communication amongst the care teams that the nurse is on the same page as the doctor and uh, and vice versa and yeah. uh, that that uh, instills safety then in them where they feel that the uh, that they are uh, being in safe hands and they again that they can trust uh, the organization and that's you know the negative examples of that are that uh, a patient gets discharged and the the patient finds out from one of the two and says to uh, finds out from the physician the nurse doesn't know and the nurse comes in and says hey, I'm getting discharged and the nurse says oh really I haven't heard mm-hmm. that yet <laughs> so it's those yeah. disconnects yeah. that are um, mm-hmm. confusing to patients that are frustrating to patients um, but nurse, nurses are uh, obviously hugely um, hugely important in that we have a whole separate um, um, training also that uh, that is, we started with mm-hmm. physicians, and now we're doing nurses also. Actually, I have a um, a, a personal experience. I don't have time to tell you in in detail, but I had cancer about five years ago, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm fine. I'm in complete um, remission, and I'm I'm going to be fine for the rest of my life. Everyone tells me I'm going to live until I'm 100. So anyway, <laughs> um, but Great. but it was really interesting being in in the hospital because really the big issue was communication between the different groups. And although yeah. they had uh, meetings to discuss patients, there were gaps 
um, you know, that made big difference to my life that were very irritating. One, one thing that just uh, stood out to me as you were talking about, uh, you know, patient-centric care, what what we see is that the pendulum is swinging um, backwards now because I think that and maybe pharma is behind that, but we've, we've on the on the provider side we've talked so long about, uh, or it, it's been about provider centric care. It was all the the physicians made the decisions and mm. what treatment uh, treatments are given and they were in charge, et cetera, all of that, and the patient just had to follow that. And then patient centered care showed up, and it's all about the patient. And the Cleveland Clinic is a great example of how much. Uh, pushback Toby Cosgrove got when he saw when he rolled out the statement patients first and and he famously says the physicians knock on his door and says does that mean we're last um, and there's this this conflict uh, be- between that that so swung all the way to, to patient centricity I believe and that's what our communication course is built around is that it is about relationship centered care <laughs> that is it's that mm. partnership between the two between uh, physicians and patients in that patients are, both of them are technology enabled now or they have a lot more information than in the past. Certainly the patient does and that all those those uh, components aid in the decision making and that it's the relationship at the core of them that make better decisions uh, make for better outcomes because the patients are more compliant with what they need mm. to do because they are they are a part of it they're part of it and they're they're invested in it and uh, mm. that's really what 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 I said actually when we were talking with Mia niece um earlier this week one of the things that she said was we don't have a healthcare system we have a sick care system okay, yeah <laughs> yeah and what we need to move towards is encouraging preventive care and wellness um, before yes. we will get sick. This whole thing of patient-centric care, when you're talking about it and what doctors know and don't know, it just really depends on the specialty. Yes. And primary care is so important, but we don't it give is. it enough time. We don't. And that's, the models are shifting now also, where in the future there will be a lot more advanced care providers that deliver primary care uh, physician's assistant, nurse practitioners are going to be huge um, in that um, in that field. And I think there's a lot of pred- predictions uh, there that primary care moves towards that. And they have more time then to actually spend with the patient. And in many cases, pa- cases patients are really satisfied with the care they receive from that. And physicians become part of the other more specialized care or uh, come in when, when needed. So that model is shifting as well. Do you find that patients are accepting of of being with a nurse practitioner um, versus a physician in the first place? Yes, they are. And it's all about how I think it is being sold and how the expectations mm. are and how mm. the in, also obviously it depends on the acuity and on what the patient is there for. Um, mm. You know, if somebody has cancer and is um, very obviously concerned about their about their outcome, they want the physician and they want the best physician there is um, to mm. help them chart a course. But if it is for routine visits and for 
uh, what what you're talking about, what we need to get to, keep patients well and to encourage them in their lifestyle choices. And there's so much education involved that often the physicians don't even have, frankly. You know, physicians know nothing about nutrition. Um, and that <laughs> yeah, nutrition is so huge yeah. In, yeah. in health and, and, and wellness. That's where health coaches come into play also. Um, the, and all those are a lot less costly care than uh, from a, from a doctor and can have such an impact. And I can speak to that because my wife is a nutritional health coach and she has mm-hmm. people flocking to her that are frustrated with traditional care and they just get one more prescription prescribed for one of the ailments they have. Yeah. And then they say, I had enough. I need to change my lifestyle and please help me. And then a coach can actually like what a coach on a team, on a sports team does, is to motivate and push and stay on, uh, you know, hold people accountable towards uh, towards progress, all the things that a physician doesn't have time for because we, we put a lot of pressure on them from a productivity perspective also. Excellent. Thank you, Swan. Very, very exciting. Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs>